Welcome to our podcast on The Wire. My name is Barbara Wickman, and I'm the CEO of Artemia Communications, a global full-service strategic communications and digital agency. We provide top-quality research-based strategic and technical support to global clients in technology, sustainability, and regulated segments. Our guest today is Troy Carter. He is a Stanford University graduate with a degree in economics and was an early employee at Airbnb. He founded, scaled, and successfully exited Toy Cider, and now focuses on carbon finance, renewable energy, and agriculture. For more information about Troy and his work, please visit our site at www.artemia.com and look for our On The Wire episodes. Hi, Troy. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Let's start out with saying what an exciting year it is and how you and your team can help all of us move the needle, as I call it. So if I may hand the mic to you and have you introduce yourself and and tell us uh, what you stand for. So my name is Troy. I'm the co-founder at two projects, actually. One is called Rhizome. It's a company that is pioneering the use of bamboo-engineered lumber as a climate-positive alternative to wood, steel, and concrete. And Earthshot Labs, which is an open-source community of data scientists, investors, designers, and other climate entrepreneurs who are collaborating on a wide variety of nature-based climate solutions. So what do I stand for? Great question. It's just about the time that we live in. You know, climate and ecology have seen some major challenges and, you know, it's going to continue to accelerate in urgency. But when there's a problem that's this large, it's it's like it's very motivational. So, you know, Earthshot Labs, just as a quick example, we started at late November last year. So it's only been going for a month and a half. And we already have maybe 500 community members and around, you know, 45 or 50 strong, active contributors who are pushing code on GitHub and doing really cutting edge work. And so the level of teamwork and passion and collaboration and collaboration among companies who would be traditionally considered competitors is just something that I've never seen before and is such a relief to feel a deeply collaborative and unified spirit in addressing these challenges and doing it in a way that isn't just reducing CO2 from the atmosphere because that's actually not the fundamental issue. The fundamental mm-hmm. issue is incentive structures, economic systems, land agency systems of governance that incentivize you know, the exploitation of nature. So what do I stand for? I stand for right relationship with nature, right relationship with each other, and having a really good time and a fun time solving these problems. Who could say no to that? (laughs) I think that's a great combination. Now, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in in sort of getting ready for today, you know, the whole concept of, you know, bamboo as an alternative. Is that sort of how I can state it? Yeah. Tell us more about that, because I think there's still, you know, we think of it as maybe flooring materials or things of that nature. But tell us more and how can it be applied and who should really care about this? Right. I mean, bamboo is super cool. The construction industry is a global catastrophe. You know, more than a third of emissions 
are caused by buildings, construction, and retrofitting of old buildings. So that's one of the major issues. And wood, steel, and concrete, um, and just the amount of energy it takes to produce these materials, the deforestation, these are some of the biggest ecological challenges that we can deal with. So bamboo isn't a cure-all, but it is one strategy within the building ecosystem that can help draw down CO2 from the atmosphere, sequester it in the built environment, replace building materials that have a really awful ecological footprint and mm-hmm. actually just make really, really gorgeous, you know, life-friendly buildings. So how does it do that? So we're mostly operational in Southeast Asia. In the Philippines, there's a really, really large species of bamboo called Dendrocalamus asper. You know, it can grow up to 12 inches across, 120 feet high. It's a massive, massive grass and it grows really fast. So because it grows really fast, it can sequester CO2 from the atmosphere very quickly. And when you cut it down, it regrows within 18 months. So it's not like when you cut down a tree, the tree dies, the root dies, the soil, you know, basically evaporates into the atmosphere and, you know, all the mycorrhizal fungi and everything, basically everything dies when you cut down the tree. So we don't want that. It's a much better solution to have rapidly renewable bamboo. And the product that we're making is a turnkey replacement for pretty much every construction material that you can think of. So right now our primary product is plywood, right? So when you think of a piece of plywood, pretty much every flat surface in your house, on your floor, in the sides of trucks, on the bottoms of containers, these are all pieces of plywood. Basically the fundamental unit of construction that can be laid up into pretty much any configuration. One of the big movements in construction right now is trying to lower embodied carbon, which means the amount of carbon footprint that a building takes. And that's a really great trend. The biggest movement is mass timber in that. There's also sort of decarbonized concrete and decarbonized steel, but these technologies are a little slower to adopt. They're a little bit less easy to turnkey introduce. Basically, anywhere that you can build with wood, you can build with bamboo Mm -hmm. and better. And bamboo is at least two and a half times stronger than wood in pretty much every metric. It's fire resistant and it looks great. So it looks like a nice clear maple or poplar. It looks like a hardwood and acts like a hardwood at the price of a softwood like Douglas fir or Southern yellow pine. What's Rhizome doing to actually make this happen? One, it hasn't really been done before. And I wish it had. I wish it had been done 20 years ago and we didn't have to go solve this problem. But we essentially have to build an entirely new supply chain for bamboo. And that includes every step from spending the last six years doing technology innovation, process innovation, sourcing bamboo, and building an entire technology framework for actually being able to produce the material. And then we have to plant, we have to harvest, we have to build factories, we have to build distribution channels, we have to change code compliance laws in the United States internationally. There's a lot to do to make this material a widespread building material. But it's going to happen. It's inevitable. In 10 years, sort of every architect and builder will be like, oh, yeah, we knew that was coming. It was totally obvious. So right now we're just making it obvious that that's going to happen. Well, that brings up a lot of questions, right? Because we have been involved in parts of, let's say, the supply chain that you're talking about, right? And ways to bring up existing buildings 
to a lower carbon footprint, right? So instead of, you know, in addition to LEED, let's say there's also Briam, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you can actually work on an existing building and make it more sustainable. My key questions are really manifold, but let me start with, what is the stage that your team is at? Is it something that as listeners are sort of following you during this conversation, can they reach out to you? Can they get their hands on the material? You know, how concrete is it? Is it available in stores? What is the way that people can participate in this? How do you engage? Totally. So I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to just ping off one thing you said before about decarbonizing building operations. So there was a study mm-hmm. done, you know, this last year that essentially showed there's a really clear path for decarbonizing building operations. We can get to renewable energy and we can, you know, mm-hmm. increase the thermal barriers and make buildings more efficient at using energy. And we'll be able to decarbonize that aspect at least 95% in the next 10 years. It's a much more challenging problem to decarbonize the actual structure itself. Right. And so that's actually where the most innovation needs to happen. And so that's really the step that we're taking. So it's not so much about retrofitting existing buildings, but going into places like India, Bangladesh, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, where most of the construction is going to happen, where there are no trees left, those buildings will be built out of steel and concrete unless there's an alternative. And if there's not an alternative, that amount of CO2 needed to build the amount of buildings in those areas between now and 2060 is itself going mm-hmm. to cause a another climate crisis. So that's really the, the problem that we're working on. That's important, right? Yeah. yeah, thank you. So how do you engage with Rhizome? One, I, I am happy to say we're shipping product to customers in the U.S. and in Southeast Asia. So you know, it's still small production, still early days. We've only been operational since early 2020. And we'll be expanding about 10 times at least in the next six months. And Mm -hmm. so there's going to be a lot more availability for the project. So one, if you're a developer, uh, designer, or an architect and want to do like design specifications, it's an amazing material to design with. We're going to be able to build buildings, especially prefab buildings that have never been possible because of the strength and fire resistant qualities of the material. So one, if you want to design with us, like let's collaborate. That's really cool. We're working with some of the best designers and architects in the world at developing novel building concepts, particularly for prefab and like tall mass timber buildings. The second is funding. We're actually going to open up a crowdfunding campaign, uh, which is a super cool opportunity. So, you know, we've mostly taken money from basically like, you know, institutional investors or large, you know, angel investors, people who are investing quite a lot of money. And, you know, a few months ago, I was like, you know what, it's it's such a good opportunity to allow everyone access to this funding opportunity. So for the next month, we'll have a crowdfunding campaign open. We already have 600k of the million dollars committed. So it's an opportunity for you to be part of the journey. It's a fun group of people to be a part of. Because I would say it's a climate and ecologically oriented company, the sort of people that are attracted to invest, like it's a really cool group of shareholders that you would probably like to get to know. So if that speaks to you and you're like, hey, I want to support this project, make a lot of money over the long term and help decarbonize the built environment, help support indigenous land rights throughout Southeast Asia, help support regenerative economies throughout Southeast Asia, South Asia, Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa. That's what you'll be supporting. 
So that's another really easy way to engage. In terms of individual homeowners, I would say we don't have enough material. We're selling all to like wood distributors and like big customers at the moment. But if you have a special project, uh, send me an email and we could see what we can do. Um, like, you know, some like beautiful high-end house that would showcase the material. That would be a, an amazing use. And I'd love to chat with you. But probably mid-2021, we'll have a lot more material and that'll be available places like Home Depot. Cool. That's great. Because that is obviously one of the go-to places for a lot of residential type of projects, right? Even general contractors, I would argue. Well, that's that's a fascinating journey. How did you get into this? I mean, I saw somewhere that you went to Stanford and you've done lots of other things. So tell us a little bit, A, your background, what made you go into this direction? And, you know, how did you discover this passion, if you will? I mean, I wouldn't say that I discovered this passion. I would say this passion for ecological restoration is a requirement of being human in this time. I mean, that's just my perspective. I didn't have to come up with anything novel to be interested in this area. Right. But you were receptive, shall we say it that way? Yes. I mean, my background, yeah, I went to Stanford. Um, I you know, worked at tech companies in the Bay Area for a few years, started my own company, sold it after a couple of years, did various consulting projects for, you know, renewable energy and agriculture and commercial composting, mostly in financing. So I'd say in a way, money drives the world where the financial incentives is how we end up building infrastructure. So that was where I focused the last handful of years. And in 2019, came together with the rest of the Rhizome team to scale Mm -hmm. the technology that had been developed into a real company team manufacturing operations. So basically taking a product from zero to one and then from one to a thousand. And the reason I basically joined up with the Rhizome Mm -hmm. team was the perspective of scale. Because bamboo and just our internal operations, our goal is to sequester 10 gigatons of carbon by 2050. To give a sense of scale, so human beings during the entire course of industrialization, we've emitted and will emit about 1,000 gigatons of CO2 into the atmosphere, which means that bamboo and rhizome as a particular part of that can solve 1% of climate change. And that's a really optimistic perspective because if one team can solve 1% of the problem, at least on the metric of CO2, that means that only 100 other innovative solutions on that scale need to be implemented. And that's a much more optimistic and realistic perspective than, wow, this is such an overwhelming large problem. We're never going to be able to do it. That's actually not the case. This is a very addressable problem. We have the technology, we have the solutions, we just need to do them. To me, that changes one of the fundamental issues with climate change is that it seems too big for people to address. And it's not. It's it's, it's really not. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of times there's a sense, oh, it's like you said, it's too big. We can't even deal with it. There's overwhelm, right? But with what you just said, it breaks it down in... Not bite sizes, clearly, but, you know, in portions that, as you said, it can be accomplished. And I think that's kind of what we all need, right? The, the perspective. There's a way to reach the goals. And here are some steps, Dave. 
we all can take, depending on our position, right, individuals or organizationally speaking, to help all of us get there. What do you think makes it, I mean, unique is one of these overused terms, right? Mm -hmm. If you were in the Bay Area, you know, we had the word revolutionize, we are, now we're pivoting all of us. Uh, so outside of that trendy type of terminology, if you had one sentence, let's say, or a slogan of sorts that people could remember, right? As they come away from listening to you, what, what should they remember? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, this is sort of stupid, but we have an internal sort of slogan at Rhizome, which is uh, hippie values, German engineering. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, because... I'm biased clearly right. on this topic, but go ahead. <laughs> right, because it, it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of persistence. It takes a lot of dedication to address the inertia of Western industrialization in the world. We have to be as sophisticated and rigorous at providing an alternative solution. And it has to be done with heart. It has to be done with a collaborative spirit. It has to be done with a view towards diversity, inclusion, and you know, highlighting the voices of people who have suffered the most under these systems. Otherwise, it's not worth doing. I believe and I have witnessed mm -hmm. that when we fully embrace that set of values and don't shy away from, oh, you know what, if we actually like fly an ecological flag, then maybe we won't get money. Maybe we won't get investment. Maybe people won't take us seriously. I've actually seen the opposite of that is that right now, the zeitgeist of the world is so actively supporting a movement towards ecological harmony, towards restoration with marginalized communities, towards right. a system that actually works for people, works for animals, works for all of life, that the money will come, you know, support will come, collaborations mm -hmm. and collaborators will find you. I've been really, really impressed with how people show up volunteering their time and really like world-class people who are, you know, finance refugees or high-tech people that are just like, you know what, what I was doing, I was leveraging my brain and my mental capacity, but it wasn't aligned with how I actually wanted to see the mm -hmm. world. So to start a company like that or work mm -hmm. for a company like that, I think is just, it's a lot more fun and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely hear you on that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't agree more because I think the time is ready. I mean, we all have a sense of urgency at this point, right? I think most of us, not everybody, obviously, depending on where you're situated in terms of philosophy, but there's definitely a greater understanding of the need to to move things, right? To to make things happen and also to be in integrity, right? In terms of your personal values with your professional activities. So I, I do think what impresses me in addition to frankly, the entire solution that you all offer, right, is that you found a way with your particular background also to bring the company to the to the standards that we expect of a functioning business, right? And because right now, I think we need to mature. As the world matures, we need to mature in terms of sustainability and make it a true business component, right, an integral part. Yeah. And I see certainly that on the corporate side, there's a lot more understanding for the relevance, right? They're looking at teams, building programs. Some of them may be more timid than others, but there is that understanding. So I think the right time, right place for you and your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? I also think there's, there's so many sort of mega trends going on, but one is that 
I was talking to an interesting, well-known funder the other day, asking, so like, what are the big trends that you see that have happened or are happening right now? And one is that COVID has highlighted, one, how bad commuting is. Like people, when they don't have to do it, they realize, we knew it was bad. We, we didn't know it actually made us sad. We feel it. Um, but another is that people want to work on something that's meaningful, you know, as simple as that. And if they can find meaning in a company that doesn't have a mission for the world, I think that's great. But more and more, I think that's that's not the case, right? And that a veneer of doing something good is very different than having a corporate structure be in contact with that as an orientation point in every decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think we're going to see a lot of new companies that will grow very quickly in this space because they come at it with a deeply integrous set of values and that that is embedded in the DNA of the way they communicate as a team, as a way they value diversity and inclusion in teamwork, mm-hmm. as a way of incentivizing employees like on every level and that that will create more successful businesses than the typical corporate structures that we've seen over the last century. Yeah, it's definitely a paradigm shift, right, in a lot of ways. And I'm not the first to say that. I don't think we're going to return to the previous normal, right? Mm -hmm. Now that we've all found a way to be working from home, those that can, I should say, right? Frontline workers Mm -hmm. and all of that, they don't have the luxury to do that. But if you can, uh, it's a small part of contribution, right? And you can shape it. So maybe we'll be ending up with what I would call the hybrid model, right? Some commuting, some not, that type of thing. But I agree with you on the, it can't be veneer, right? We decided many, many years ago to get ISO certified, you know, sustainability 14,001, because we started working in all things green and 06, actually 05, UN World Environment Day, right? And then everybody became green, so to speak. And I was like, where, where's the substance? You know, how do we measure this? Unless we measure it, we can't even report against it. And more importantly, how do we tell our team that we accomplishing certain goals, right? Never mind the clients, they may care about it, but even for us. So I would agree with you from that vantage point. We at a time where it needs to be practiced, if you will, right? It's no longer good enough to talk about it and aspire sort of in a, you know, theoretical way. It's about, you know, wherever you pick your contribution, but do it, right? So call to action. And that was actually in some ways my way of rounding this off with you. If you had a call to action for listeners, you mentioned a few things, right? That people can do to engage. Is there one in particular that stands out to you? Totally. So we essentially mentioned funding and, you know, designers and people who are sort of involved in that world. But for everyone else, it seems like one of the themes of our conversation today was really about how we use Mm -hmm. our time. You know, what are we working on? What companies do we choose to work on? Are they in alignment with our values? Do we find meaning? And obviously, these are pretty privileged conversations to be able to have. I live in a pretty privileged spot and probably many of these listeners do as well, where they actually do have the option of taking a moment to reflect on whether they feel fully used by life in their role. Mm -hmm. And so a few asks. One, you can join the Earthshot Labs Slack channel 
And there are hundreds of people who are world-class in their fields, who can provide mentorship, who can provide guidance on how to get a role at a climate-positive company, and also direct projects to volunteer and work on, including a soil carbon project, a hydrological modeling project, a front-end apps team. You talked a lot about water. Right now, the water team is building a model to basically algorithmically scale permaculture solutions. Mm -hmm. So using very low-tech, low-cost interventions like small reservoirs, check dams, injection wells, and swales that have massive impacts on total water supply and water system health on a landscape level. So that if we are, for example, in California, we applied very small-scale, low-tech permaculture techniques across the entire landscape, suddenly the wildfire problem the drought, you know, water supply issues all over the state, these would be addressed. And it's an issue of policy and it's an issue of data. Can Mm -hmm. we actually convincingly prove that if you do these interventions, it will have an impact on the water cycle? So that's an example of a project that you can get involved in. It's an open source project um, looking for domain experts, generally enthusiastic people, data scientists, software engineers. And also, if you just want to hang out in the background, be like, hey, I am interested. I don't know how to contribute. You know, we have an amazing team of mentors who can take you in and be like, hey, okay, let's hold your hand for a little bit and then see how you can contribute. So that's one clear way of becoming mm-hmm. involved in this easily. Great. No, I think that's perfect. And, you know, you touched on all the things that California is dealing with right now. I mean, not only California, but it's so prevalent, right, in California. We had gusty winds just a week ago, I think. And, you know, power had to be shut off because of the fire danger, right? And that's January. It's no longer the second part of the year, right? It's almost like a continuous issue. And water has always been an issue, right? Between the north and the southern part of California, lots of debates. So, you know, your touch points are really pertinent, I think. Thank you for highlighting how people can actually contribute in whatever little or larger format they want to do that, because that's what it's about, right? And that's hopefully our contribution from myself and our team. We can provide a platform to share the knowledge that you obviously have and your team implements on. And I look forward to things to come on your end. Uh, We'll make sure to keep updated and uh, definitely include your funding URL, right? So people can participate. So we'll make sure post-interview that we have some of the resources available to everybody that cares about it. So thank you, really. It was um, educational. It was fun. Great. And I'm so glad you took the time to talk with me today. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Barbara, because also in a way Mm -hmm. what you are doing, you know, the ecological crisis is a crisis of narrative. It's not that we Mm -hmm. don't know how to do things differently. Like we do know how to do things differently. It's just the narrative about what it means to be a human being, about how to engage with other human beings, about how to engage with nature and how to communicate with each other and address whatever historical pain that has been caused. We know how to do this and giving it space and giving it voice is like such a critical um, part of the process. So I really appreciate what you're doing as well. It's my true pleasure. Thank you so much. And we'll be in touch. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of On The Wire. Make sure to check out the resources that Troy mentioned. For more information about our company, including our blogs, services, and news, please visit our website, artemia.com. That's A-R-T-E-M-I-A.com. Do you know someone who would be a great guest? Please send us your suggestions. Our email is service at 
On The Wire can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other major podcatchers. From the team at Artemia, thanks for tuning in. This is your host, Barbara Rickman, signing off.